0: We're going to dig into Psalm 63, beginning in verse 1, as we begin a new series. Um, if you need a Bible, there should be one around you somewhere uh, to be able to pick up, and you can, you can uh, use that. If there's a bookmark and you want to hang on to that, you're welcome to have that. Otherwise, there's more on the information table as you leave. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings for you. Your right hand upholds me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're starting a new series. And this series starts with this. When you believe in God, but. There's a great book. It was written uh, by Craig Groeschel called The Christian Atheist. is where I sort of jumped off on this. And and there's this reality. We believe in things, but sometimes there's a a but at the end of what we say we believe in. Let me use this example. I like the symphony, but—and I can list the reasons why that is a but if you go to the next slide. I like the symphony, but I haven't been to the symphony since I was in middle school, and it was because I was on a church trip. I like the symphony, but I can't name any of the composers— And I can't play any instruments at all. In fact, I really can't read music. Uh, People assume that Lutheran pastors can read music, but I definitely cannot. I can pretend, and I can try to sing what's next to me. And if two people sing harmony, I have no idea what's going on. I like the symphony, but I haven't listened to classical music in years. At some point in time, when I get through my list of buts, it's really great that I like the symphony, but it doesn't really mean anything anymore. You know? I like the Vikings, but I have no idea what the record is, and I've never watched a game. You know, that's kind of one of those things. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. By the way, that's not me. Maybe that's you, but I've watched all the games forever, even in the sad years. So, um, but we kind of get through this. We get to this point where we have things that we believe in, but they don't really affect our life in any way, shape, or form. And I think sometimes our faith gets this way. Here's what David wrote in Psalm 63 at the beginning of this. Oh God, you are a God. People seek you. Souls thirst for you. People's flesh faint for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Except that's not the reading at all. Some of you read this just a few minutes ago and you say that, that's not how this reading goes. This reading feels sterile and cold and something far other than anything that we can really imagine. This is not how the reading is supposed to sound. In fact, it's supposed to sound more powerful. David, the author of this psalm, King David, didn't feel this way. He didn't say there was a God somewhere, and I'm sure somebody knows about him, and that sounds like a good idea. That wasn't how he thought. Um, And to sum this up, as we're talking about this this week, we're going to dig into the idea of how does David really know God? Here, Here, this week's or but is, I believe in God, but I don't really know him. I believe in God, but I don't really know God in any way, shape, or form. And I think sometimes I feel like this is a little bit my life. I know about God, but I don't really know God. When I left my confirmation phase and my high school phase, I knew a lot about God. I could tell you the answer to stories and things like that, but I didn't really know God. And some of the reality is, is that for, for some of us, some of us are sitting in this room and we're going, yeah, I don't really know anything about this. Like, God sounds good, and, and I like the music, and the coffee was better this week. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but, um, but you know, all these different things that are going on, but I don't really know God at all. You see, the thing is, is that David knew God. God, When God talked about David, God said that he is a man after my own heart. David is not perfect. David is not kind of perfect. David is not close to perfect. David is a horrible mishmash of things. He's the great leader who slew Goliath. If you didn't know this, the story of David and Goliath isn't a metaphor. It's actually a Bible story that we use in culture a whole bunch of the time. Sometimes people use it, and they're like, what does that have to do with God? I don't understand. But David slew Goliath. He was this powerful leader. He was also the same guy that sent a guy into battle in order to be killed so that he could go ahead and take over the marriage with the guy's wife. This guy was good, and he was a mess in between. And you weren't quite sure who he was going to be. And yet, when God talked about him, God said, That's a man after my own heart. Because I don't think it was about David's actions, I think it was about David's relationship with God. Here's how David really wrote that first verse Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My, th- my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land. Where there is no water. David owns his relationship. He owns the reality that he knows this God, and this God loves him. It is his—it's not a relationship with God. It's not the church's relationship with God. It's not his spouse's—it's his relationship with God, and he owns it. And the question is, how on earth do you do that? How do you own that kind of relationship with God? How does that even work at all? So let me ask this question. Who knows you best? There are people in my life, when I hear them use certain words, I know how they know me. I know how they know me. Who knows me best? Well, if I hear from the back, from my back, somebody say, Robert, how are you? I know that's somebody I have a relationship with long term, because I haven't been Robert since I was 18. At some point in time, I decided that Roberts were people who had their life together and knew what was going on, and I was more of a Bob. Does that make sense to you? Maybe you kind of feel that way too, and you wish you could be Bob, but Bob is just a guy. He's like, I don't—I'm just here. I know what's going on, and that felt more like me. But as a kid, I was Robert. And when people walk up to me and they say, Robert, I know instantly they knew me from a long time ago. A lot of times it's family. It's people I haven't seen much over the last 15 years, and I knew them as kids, and I haven't been able to retrain them. That's not really my name. I, you know, I don't go by that anymore, but bless you. They know me. We have a a backstory and a relationship. There are other people who I know because I'm in a fantasy football league with them. This is important to the story, by the way. They're my college buddies. And they can recite stories, and we have inside jokes, and when those things come out, I know that those people know me really well. And there are people in my house that know me best. They haven't known me as long as any of these people, but they know me better than any of them. And I hear this word coming down the hall, daddy. And when they say that word, I know that they know me. We have a relationship because we've spent time together, because we care deeply for each other, because we're deeply invested in one another. And when I hear that name, I understand what does that mean. It means they know me best. I think sometimes— we forget that this is the image that God has for us. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, I want to, I want to show you this is your relationship with your heavenly Father. Say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus teaches them to pray, he says, call him your dad because you're going to know him in ways that you don't really know a lot of other people. You're going to know him deeply and fully. When Jesus talks to his Father, he actually doesn't use the formal term, Father, I am gladdened by your presence that you are here. Sometimes when we pray, we think we have to come up with these magical words. Oh, Father, our God, we have found glory in your sight and joy. And you know, somehow, I don't know who it is, but we change the words that we say. All of a sudden, it's totally different. But when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, he says, he says, call him your father, and then he says, Abba. Abba means daddy. It's, it's this childhood uh, sharing of, Dad, you're with me. I love you. Dad, you're with me. I am so excited to be in your presence. I know you, and you know me. Sometimes we feel a little bit more like long-lost children than the ones being carried by our dad. Jesus believed we needed to connect with God. Jesus was invested in us connecting with God. Here's what he said in in John 15, chapter 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. This is his image that we're connected fully to God, that we receive our nourishment from God, That we receive all we need. That if we're we're branches, then the vine is God himself, Jesus in the flesh, this one who has come to spend his time with us. And he says, receive your strength, your power, your nourishment from me. This is not an accidental thing. I don't think he's just saying like, oh, here's a one-off. By the way, vine and branches, this will be a really good image. I think he's trying to get them to see. Rely on God. And we don't begin to rely on God by accident. We don't begin to work our way through this relationship by accident. It's intentional. It's done on purpose over and over and over again. Because the reality is, deep relationships require time, effort, and persistence. Deep relationships require time, effort, and persistence. I have, I have a relationship that's deeper than any other of my relationships in my life. It's I, I'm married to Jen. Um, if you met her, you know I married up. I don't know how it worked, but she said yes, and I'm really thankful. Um, and if she's listening to this today, you're welcome, honey. So... Um, I, I think she'll be here at 11. She usually comes at 10. So, um, but, but what's happening is, is that we have this relationship. And in order to develop this relationship, we've done some things intentionally. And the first one is this. We spend quality and quantity time together. This is not an accident. It happens as one. We spend, we spend quality time together. We find time to get away and to, to find space and to do things. Sometimes we Instagram it because we're both a little addicted to Facebook and Instagram and things like this. And you'll see pictures of our quality and quantity time together. But, but we spend this time together because we want to know each other. But we also spend lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of time together just hanging out. She's my friend. And I'm an introvert, and so I don't know that I want to— I mean, I like you all, but I don't want a ton of new friends all the time in my life. I kind of like the friends I got. And she's my friend and the one that I spend time with, and I know she knows me because we have invested in just simply being in the same place at the same time. But time isn't enough. And one of the things we've learned is that we have to put in the effort of working at spending that time together. It doesn't happen by accident. Sometimes we have to focus on each other's conversations. This isn't always my best skill, but I try really, really hard. And when she says, do you want to go for a walk? I I smile and say yes. I mean no, but I say yes because I know that that kind of effort is important. And when she says, do you want to—when I say, do you want to talk about football? She says yes. I'm not sure she means it, but she really pretends that I'm convinced she does. And so, you know how this works but we put in effort because we know that working at this is essential to this relationship. And finally, a relationship takes persistence. Because sometimes, no matter who it is, your best friend, your kids, your spouse, your parent, whatever it is, there are going to be times at which you're missing each other. And how are you going to work deeply at that and be able to make that relationship continue through that difficulty? Sometimes it takes coming back and saying we're sorry and asking for that relationship to be restored. This is the relationship God is calling us to. He's calling us to have our passion for time with him grow. To spend time with him, to pray. You can imagine this. If I was like, hey, Jen, and I walked by and right before dinner, I said to her, Jen, I'm so glad you're at dinner with me. It is nice to see you. And then I walked away. And the next day, when I talked to her again, Jen, you're so glad I'm at dinner. It's nice to see you. And I said this sort of one rote sentence every week and nothing else, every day and nothing else. The relationship's probably not going to grow very much, right? But there are seasons in our life where our entire prayer life is, be present at our table, Lord. Be here and everywhere adored. These mercies grant and bless that we may strengthen for thy service be. And that's like it. But that's not the relationship that I want with God. I want this relationship that has give and take and blessing and pouring into me and pouring out of me into other people because God is doing these amazing things. It is so important because really knowing God is essential to really knowing what God has for you. You see, when we get to this point, Of this relationship growing, when we put in our time, effort, and persistence with showing up to spend time with God on a daily basis, we begin to really know what God's heart is. And as we begin to hear that and see that, we begin to understand that God has things for us, that God is calling us to things. And one of the most confusing things is, what is God trying to say to me? But I'm telling you that David's example is that the relationship comes before Knowing what you're supposed to do. David follows God because David's heard from God over and over again. And sometimes it's still not totally clear. And sometimes he does his own thing. But he lives this out better than anybody. Really knowing God is essential to really knowing what God has for you. Because I think God has something for us as a church. God has something for us in our families. God has something for us as individuals. He's calling us to ministry, to hope, to life, to pour into other people, to do these unbelievable things because we are Jesus's hands and feet in the world. But in order to figure that out, that relationship has to come first. David paints a beautiful picture. Here's what he says. So I've looked on you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. That's what I want. That's what I want my relationship with God to look like. And as I hear these words, that's what I'm dreaming of. That God, I will look upon God's face and I will see his glory and I will be renewed in his hope. And I'm not telling you, that is not an everyday occurrence in my world. But when it happens, it is full of joy. My hope is as I find my way to the end of this journey, that that joy will grow. That like David— I will continue to seek to be close to my Father's heart. That he will say, that's one after my own heart. And I will say, I have looked upon you because, God, you are my God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we desire this relationship with you. We keep asking over and over again that you would come into this place. Will you give us the energy and the persistence and the time and the effort that we can pour into a relationship? That we can invest in knowing you? That we can continue to come back to this place not thinking, oh, it'll be great to see God again, but saying, I'm so glad you've walked with me throughout this week. It is a joy to be in your presence with your people. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and together God's people said, amen.